0: So if there is something that is told uh, to our students ad nauseum about graduating, uh, it's about all the change that is going to happen in their life. Uh, Change is in the air, they say. And no matter what your plans are after high school, your schedule changes, right? If we can kind of all get in that mindset, think back of when we graduated high school, there's so many things that change. First and foremost, though, it really is your schedule. Um, If you go into the work world after high school, you're really just subbing one nine-to-five job for another, except this one you get paid for instead. Um, but if you go to college, um, then let me just tell you how much you are, I mean, how much do we all miss the college schedule? I mean, don't we wish that we also could still just work on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or just Tuesday and Thursday? I mean, it is, to me, it really is the best part about college. I mean, you don't have to be at school from 8 to 3 anymore. You just, like, go in the morning, and you're done, and it's awesome. And then, like, I mean, for me, I was a morning class person like to be done, 12 or 1, some of you the opposite, some of you want to sleep in, so you just take afternoons, but whatever it is, it's really a sweet gig. I mean, you just only got to do work for part of the day compared to like the rest of your life, Um, but they will soon dream of being on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday work schedule. I know this because if they ask any adult in this room, that is exactly what we dream of, is being on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday work schedule, or just a Tuesday, Thursday. There's also, of course, in college, there's the dreaded fear of the major change, right? That your kid is going to be one of those kids that changes their major three times. And uh, let me just tell you, a recent study shows that at least half of college students change their major at least once. Uh, so don't get upset when it happens, parents. They're just fitting into the numbers. They're just doing what they're supposed to be doing and what society says. But, uh, and also, I mean, mini tangent right here. It is really dumb that we expect kids at 18 to figure out what they're supposed to do with the rest of their life. And so the fact that we expect them to come into college and pick this one major, and then that it's they're just gonna nail it the first time um, is crazy, um, because how many times did we not nail it the first time we tried to guess on something? Like a lot. And so this idea that you have to go to college and then it's like a shame thing when you have to change your major is ridiculous. Um, and so speaking to you as your local student pastor on the behalf of high schoolers, stop asking them what they want to do with their life they don't know um, and if they do give you an answer that means a they're way overconfident and they're probably going to be the ones that are going to change their mind or B uh, they're just lying to you and they're just trying to appease like with that question that you're asking So um, it, it seems like a nice question but I'm telling you they don't they don't know what the answer is and so let's just let's just agree. And start the movement to stop asking them that question, but um, on the other hand, I didn't change my major Um, I picked my major completely randomly and it ended up sticking and ended up being what I liked to do Um, Don't really recommend you do that. I just was a good guesser. I guess at that point in my life, but Um, You also change the type of classes that you take. There's no longer boring class names like American Lit or Algebra II or Physical Science. uh, But now you get to take fun classes like the Olympics, uh, which I took. Got such a gold medal. Pretty cool. Uh, Persuasion, which was the best class I ever took. Thank you, Dr. Bjorn. Uh, Sports Analytics, second best class. Just talked about sports the entire time. Uh, housing in contemporary society. Don't know anything about housing or contemporary. Well, I know a little bit about contemporary society, but not housing. Uh, but that was an easy A. And then weather and climate, which was the hardest class I took in college. Not an easy A. Thank you, Dr. Cooperman. But you will change how you study. Uh, and what I mean by that is, sorry, parents, that means that they will mean that means they actually have to learn to start studying uh, in college. Uh, because like most most of us, including myself, that means that you didn't study in high school and in college. You have to learn to start studying. Point is, change is all around us uh, in that season of our life and many other seasons of our life, really, if we think about it. And change in general can be good. Uh, Sometimes we need change. Sometimes we need to change, to be in a different place, to develop different habits, to change what we thought we wanted to do. All those things can be good. And all through life, we should never be closed off to change because oftentimes God does want to change us, right? In in Scripture, he changes people's names, he changes people's jobs, he changes people's lives from death to life. So change is a part of what God wants to do in our life. Change isn't a bad thing in that sense. We would all be stuck apart from God if he didn't change us and if he didn't change our desires and our direction in life. So it is a good thing for change to happen in many ways. Speaking of graduations, yesterday, my wife, Lily, graduated from Georgia College. Um, There's a little, yeah, yeah, you know what? First service didn't clap for her, so thank you for that. But um, uh, here's a little picture from the ceremony. Um, As you can see and you read real quick, it went really flawless. Uh, She bought her gown off Amazon, came in on Thursday of last week. Uh, Her stole, she got, uh, she stole actually from a friend about 30 minutes before the ceremony started. Uh, cords didn't buy him. Um, that's, that's okay. I guess that happens. Uh, the last name on screen was close. Uh, (laughs) not her new legal name, but it's fine. And, uh, but her degree was real and official. Uh, so that's really what matters. Um, what the picture doesn't show is how the ceremony itself actually went, um, which was two hours. And as a side note, we just need to rethink the entire graduation ceremony experience. Um, I, I don't know who came up with this idea of what it had to look like but they were they were wrong and it is not it is not an efficient process at all I mean they were making people they they did this thing where they made people stand when they like recognize them, which again, I don't really come to a graduation ceremony to be recognized in the first place, but I guess some people do. And and so they were just, but not even the graduates. At one point, they asked all spouses and parents and aunts and uncles and cousins to stand for their support of the graduate, which is ridiculous uh, because that is just not what we're trying to do here and could have saved us about two minutes of time. But Um, But they also asked the graduates to stand at different parts. So when they, if they're graduating with a certain distinction or they did a certain thing in college. And so one of those things, of course, is is cum laude and magna cum laude and summa cum laude. And and Lily was magna cum laude, not to brag for her, but she's my wife, so I will. And so, but when they called for magna cum laude to stand, um, we look out. Lily's just not standing. Um, She's just not standing at all. And we're like, okay, well, maybe we... Maybe we were wrong. Like, maybe she was something else, and we just missed it. Maybe she stood on the first one. I don't know. Okay, well, no big deal. Well, then they call for all the graduates who did internships to stand, uh, which, again, it's cool they did an internship. It feels like a stretch to make them stand in, in the middle of the graduation, but I, I digress. And, and But they called for the graduates who did an internship to stand, which Lily also did. Lily's still not standing. Like, she just doesn't stand up at all. Um, and it's at this point that, that Ken leans in my ear, and says, I don't think she's moving. And I said, I think you're right. Um, and come to find out afterwards, uh, now she did stand when they called her name and went through went through the aisle, which was good. But uh, come to find out later that she forgot which one she was um, in the, in the <laughs> cum laude recognition. Um, and she didn't want to stand and be wrong. So she just stayed sitting the entire time. Um, and, and then when the internship call came, she was a little scared that that was going to be wrong too. So she just was like, well, let's just... Let's just pop a squat and stay right here for a little bit, um, but uh, not even minding the fact that, that she could have stood for every single thing, and I don't think anyone would have noticed at all. Like, I don't think anybody really would have cared, like, oh, that girl stood, oh, she stood again, oh my gosh, she stood again, like, probably what I would have done, it would have been a little funny story, at least. But tell this story, because uh, in the midst of a, a life of change and moving around and up and down... There is one thing that we can probably take from Lily during this part of her graduation ceremony, and that's something in our life that we want to be unmoved, something in our life that we don't want to move, and that is our faith, that once we believe in Jesus, uh, that, that once God brings us from death to life, from separated to close to Him, we don't want that faith in Him to ever change, uh, that through every season of life, through every transition or dark valley, we want our faith to stay the same. Uh, We want it to be true of our lives, what David writes in Psalm 23, 4, that that even though when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we want to fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. That despite the hectic nature of our life, we want our life to be centered around a good thing, to to have a sense of stability, that that in a life where everything seems to be moving, we want our faith to be unmoved. Um, And if I asked all the parents in the room, they would all say that they want their child's faith to be unmoved throughout their life. Um, and that's exactly what we're trying to, to prepare them for and teach them in pseudo ministry here. But but we're all praying that for ourselves, too, that, that I find myself often uh, thinking about into the future, thinking ahead in my life, and, and praying that my faith is going to be unaffected by anything that happens in my future, because I, I don't know what my future will hold. You don't know what your future will hold, but... But we want to be ready and willing for, for whatever God wants to do. And we want to move when God tells us to, but, but we want our faith to be unmoved off of Him. And I think many of us would say the same thing, that this isn't to say that we're going to be flawless in life and, and that we're going to have seasons where keeping that faith is more difficult. Uh, there will certainly be times where our faith is tested and feels shaky, and that is okay. Okay. Uh, But what are the attributes that we can rely on that will allow us to have a faith that is stable? Uh, That's what we're going to address today for us. Uh, We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And and this passage, it shows us the importance of three things. Uh, Our strength, our roots, and our filling. Our strength, our roots, and our filling. Uh, Ephesians is found in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's letters to the churches that he ministered to, and Ephesus uh, was where this church was located. And it was one that, that Paul spent more time with than almost any other church. And so he has this deep attachment to it, which if, if you read through the book of Ephesians, and specifically this passage we're going to read today, it overflows in how he writes to them, uh, this attachment and passion that he has for this church. Uh, it's a more general letter. It doesn't address one specific problem like many of Paul's letters to the churches do. Uh, but this passage that we're looking at today, uh, it's a prayer. Uh, it's a prayer written out that Paul has for the people in this church. And it's just as applicable and important for us today as it was to them nearly 2,000 years ago. Uh, this church was younger, um, and, and one study Bible notes that, that through this prayer in the book as a whole— Paul is trying to raise the sights of young Christians who have not fully grasped the effect of God's love and grace. So sounds like a pretty good place to plant in for graduation Sunday, doesn't it? And so let's read it together. Uh, This is from the ESV. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Paul shows us three key aspects to a healthy faith that will be unmoved through our life. Um, And the first aspect is strength. And so our first point is this, that when something is strong, it's hard to move. Uh, When something is strong, it's hard to move. Uh, I helped coach high school baseball, and earlier in the season, we had a play pop fly gets hit down the first baseline our first baseman makes the catch uh, but despite this the runner decided to take a one-two step and try to plow him over into the ground um, the only issue was that our first baseman is six-six and over 200 pounds and so instead of the first baseman ending up on the ground the other kid had now ended up on the ground um, and also ejected from the game uh, we ended up changing our first baseman's walk-up song to brick house for the rest of the season uh, but that's besides the point the point is uh, that we all recognize That strength is an important attribute to have if we want to be unmoved. Uh, Our first baseman was unmoved in the face of this wannabe pile driver, and it had much to do with his strength. And and life can operate the same way, that when we are strong in our faith, it's harder to be moved off of that faith. Uh, But strength in our faith is different than how we often view strength. Uh, One of the the, the key things I want to do today— is show that the world is going to offer us one definition of something, one way to find something while God offers us another. And and that's why these things Paul hits on are so important because the enemy is fighting for these things. Uh, The the enemy of our faith doesn't care about the whole of our life. He just wants to snatch the important things from us in, in whatever way that he can because he knows that if he gets those things, then the rest is surely going to come after that, that if he can just take the most important thing, the things that we hold closest to us, then the rest of our life is surely going to come after that. And so these things that, that are important, that that is why they are. He, so, so he offers up other ways, the enemy, to, to seem to give us what we desire, that seem to match what we want, but they fall short. And, and strength is one of these things, that when we speak of strength in our faith— it doesn't come in the way that the world offers it. Strength comes through the inside, not what's around on the outside. Strength in our faith, it doesn't come through positions of power or important roles. It, it doesn't come from getting everything we've wanted. It doesn't even come from being a leader or in ministry. Uh, it comes through admitting our weakness. Because through weakness, we have to trust in the one who has the true power and strength, which is our Lord and our God, that you are not at your strongest when you think you have everything together and figured out, but when you have to trust in something other than yourself. Uh, Paul says that we are to be strengthened, uh, which insinuates that the strength doesn't come from ourselves, but from something else, um, right? Because we—I I wouldn't say I am strengthened by myself, right? That would sound really weird and funky. We wouldn't say it in that way, but we could say that I am strengthened by lifting weights. Not me personally, I don't lift weights, but another person could say that, that I am strengthened by lifting weights. That would make more sense to say it in that way. So when Paul says it in this way, it's showing that something outside of ourselves makes us strong in our faith. Uh, but even more than this, this strength that doesn't seem to be from this world. or or from something this world has to offer us. I'm not stronger in my faith because I'm older or because I'm in ministry or because I have all this experience. We have strength in our faith, Paul says, through his spirit in your inner being. And and this tells us again that it's not through us. It's through something else. It, It tells us that it's through our inside working outside, not the outside Working inside, and it's through Paul says God's Spirit living in us that the world is going to tell us, and specifically tempt our teenagers and young people that that you get stronger when you get more power, that when you get more power in this world, you become a stronger person, um, and whether that's through gaining a lot of money or, or reaching a certain status, acquiring a certain position, or whatever else, that the temptation is. That if we get our idea of power from the world, that because I I reach those certain levels, that I have become a stronger person. Or even worse, we can be tempted to think that God has blessed me and cares about me only because he's given me all this stuff. And that now I can feel better about myself and I can feel a sense of power and strength. So I now, that God has blessed me, now I can trust him. That's a dangerous way of temptation that can easily get into our minds, but, but our strength comes in a different way. It's not through the power of a position or of money or importance or recognition or status, but through God's Spirit being inside us, and we don't receive the Spirit once we get to a certain level or reach a certain status, but, but when we believe in God and ask Him to be with us in our hearts, and our minds, wherever we go, that God opened the door for entry, for, for all who believe and, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and He doesn't need your money or your status or your fame to prove that you're worthy, because He had already declared you worthy when He put His Son on a cross for you so that we could live and have a relationship with Him. That our strength is found through the Spirit living in us, and because He lives in us, we can be confident that we will never be moved off our faith because God is not leaving us. When something is strong it's hard to move. Uh, The second aspect that Paul brings up is our roots. Uh, When something is rooted, it's hard to move. Uh, When something is rooted, it's hard to move. Uh, I have for some reason been fascinated and borderline obsessed with trees for the past couple years. Uh, You can just ask the students. I did a sermon series on trees last year that they all loved, Um, but um, I don't think I'm obsessed with them because I took plant biology in college. Believe it or not, another easy A, but Uh, I just think trees are super cool. And there's this Japanese word for a specific type of tree. It's hibaku jumoku. Hibaku jumoku. Uh, Hibaku jumoku means the survivor tree. Um, And it's used specifically to describe the trees that survived the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II. Uh, Because there was over 100 trees uh, near the epicenter of the bomb that survived the bombing. Uh, Many that were right next to buildings that were blown to shreds, Uh, but the trees survived. Uh, There was one tree, a weeping willow tree, that was 370 meters uh, from the center of the blast, which maybe in your head you're thinking, Ian, that's four football fields. But this is an atomic bomb going off that we're thinking about here. Like four football fields is still way too close to the middle of an atomic bomb than I want to be, and this tree was that far from it. And survived. Uh, this picture uh, here that we have is a picture of a tree that was about 700 meters uh, from the blast, and it is still today surviving um, and able to grow like it's supposed to. Um, the, the parts of the tree that were above ground, they, they took on a lot of damage, but the tree survived because the parts of the tree under the surface survived and allowed regeneration to happen over time above ground. Uh, the Truman Library Institute says this that bearing the scars of heat blast and fire and forever altered by exposure to radiation these trees signify the persistence of life in the face of total destruction Um, and truman library institute didn't realize it but that will preach uh, that the persistence of life in the face of total destruction that the bombing destroyed life all around the city but it didn't destroy the trees But the trees were unmoved because of their roots. And when I think of roots, I think of depth. We we can sometimes see the roots of a tree at the surface level, but the root structure goes deep beneath the surface. So when we have roots in our faith, we have depth. And when our faith stays at the surface level, it will not be able to withstand much at all. Any bit of wind or trial could uproot it. And believe me, those things will come. Uh, There's an old adage in sports that if you aren't playing well in the field, the ball always finds you. And it's true in life as well. That it often seems that when we have shallow roots in our faith, the temptations and the trials just seem to find us. And so creating a depth in our faith and allowing our faith to be ever deepening is incredibly important for us. That we need to be rooted on God's promises. We will stand unmoved off our faith when our roots are healthy and buried deep into who God is, we will have a persistence of life in the face of total destruction. That when we move past the surface level and dig deep into faith, wrestling with difficult things and and drawing near to the Lord, we create depth in our faith that roots and grounds us into the Lord and His promises. And, And specifically, Paul draws us to be rooted in love, uh, love seems to be the hallmark of faith for Paul and the other biblical writers, both both God's love to us and, and our love towards God and others. And, and we've heard the importance of love a thousand times, but it can't be reiterated enough that it's what we're called to be rooted on. It's what God calls us to be known by, which, which makes sense because the health of the tree itself is predicated on the health of the roots underneath it. If love is what we're rooted to, if love is what is underneath us, and specifically God's love, then a healthy tree of life will be produced. There is no doubt to it that the world will offer us plenty of things to center and root our lives on. We'll be presented with option after option of things that guarantee us that it will bring us a healthy life, a successful life, and a happy life. But all these things are predicated on shallow roots. They don't reach the depth underneath the surface that the love of God does. God's love has been shown and proven to us countless ways, but none bigger than his display of love for us on top of a hill for all to see of his son Jesus on a cross. This isn't a love that is on the surface level, but a love that is sacrificial. Many things will offer us a place to plant ourselves, a thing to dig our roots into, but none offer the depth that God offers us. They will all be blown away in the winds of life with the roots that they seem to have at the surface level being all that they could offer us, with no depth to sustain us through the seasons that life take us through. So so let us not sink our roots down in the ground of a job, or a person, or an idea, or a major, or a reputation, or a vision of success— but instead put our roots into the ground where there's potential for depth, where there's ground underneath the surface, where underneath that ground we find the sacrificial, all-consuming, everlasting love of a father who cares deeply for his children, who he created to know him, who at all costs brought them back to himself. And when something is rooted, it's hard to move. And that brings us to our third and final aspect of an unmoving faith. That's fullness. That when something is full, it's hard to move. When something is full, it's hard to move. Paul writes that that we are to be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, when Paul wrote this, uh, the word fulfilling and fullness, it, it would have brought an image to the reader's mind uh, of a ship. Uh, a ship that was fully manned and full of cargo, which means it had everything it needed to accomplish its mission. If, if a ship just had cargo on it, but no men then it couldn't go anywhere. But if it just had men and no cargo, then it was pointless. So when it had, was full of man, men and full of cargo, then it could go out and accomplish its mission. That's the idea, that's the image that Paul wants us to get in our minds. And, and the idea that Paul is trying to draw on is that God gives us everything we need to go about our mission in life. That, that he has given us the opportunity for life that is fully manned and full of cargo so we can go out and accomplish what God Desires for us. The the fullness of God is God giving us all that we need through the giving of Himself to us. That God is who we go to in order to get our fill. Fullness, and through that fulfillment, comes through interacting with a full God. That we've recognized His strength, we've dug past the surface level, and now we interact with a God who is full and abundant in His ways and His knowledge and his love we are to fill ourselves with god so where are we looking to fill our time in the days of our life how quickly do our days fill up with no thought of god in them how easy is it to devote more and more of our energy and income towards things that could be drawing us away from god do do we let the world attempt to fill us up do we expect the world to fill us up do, or do we recognize The only way to be filled is to come to the one who has abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. The one who has done more than we could ever imagine. That as endless as the world may seem in some of its endeavors, that that well will run dry. That nothing has the strength that the Lord has. Nothing has the depth that the Lord has. And nothing is as everlasting and abundant in its fullness as the Lord and I fear that so much of our hurt and pain, especially in our teenagers, is from getting filled from the wrong source. Uh, that, that we turn to places that we're not meant to turn with the expectation that they will give us purpose and life and joy and fulfillment when, at best, these things are just shadows of the fullness of God. Um, and I know that I, I too often, I look to work or entertainment or people For These things and it's only when I recognize how drained that I feel That I realize it's because many other things drain us with no ability to fill us up We're not going to do a show of hands But if I had to guess and ask for a show of hands of who here feels drained There'd be a lot of people raising their hands Teenagers and adults alike The feeling of being drained is so prevalent in our culture today that it's so easy to just be drained, whether that's through work or school or just general anxieties of life. Draining is one of the biggest problems facing our time right now, in my opinion. But even though the, the Lord, our God, yes, he, he pushes us outward and wants us to pour into other people, he doesn't drain us empty. But he, he is this everlasting spring of water that we can run to To be filled. God is not where we go to be drained, but to be filled. And if any of us are feeling empty today, which we've already established is probably a good bit of us, if we feel drained today, then I would encourage us to to go where we can be filled. Stop going to things that are just going to drain us. Stop constantly only going to the things that are just going to take and take from our souls and our minds and our hearts but go to something that is actually built to fill us that will not run dry that we have to prioritize our time with God because he can and will fill the emptiness that we feel in our heads in our hearts in our souls and and additionally this fullness that God draws us towards it has the effect of making us more like Christ right if little linguistics, little lesson here for us, that if a cup is empty, uh, we would ask somebody to bring us that cup. Like if a cup was sitting over there and I wanted you to bring me that cup and there was nothing in it, I would probably just say, hey, can you bring me that cup? But if that cup has water in it, if it's filled with water, I'm probably not gonna say, can you bring me that cup? I'm gonna say, can you bring me my water? Or at the very least, I'm gonna say, can you bring me my cup of water? Because it's not just a cup anymore. It has something in it. It's full of something else. And so now it's no longer just a cup. It's a water, or a Coke, or whatever it is. It has a new designation. It has a new name. And when we are full of God, we are made to look more like Christ. We have a new name, which is God's ultimate goal in our life. We have a new designation, a new calling, a new purpose on our life. And as we look more like Christ, our lives begin to resemble His more. And our faith can begin to resemble His faith. And Christ's faith, if it could be described as anything, could be described as unmoved. That despite facing this this ultimate death and staring at it in the face for his entire life and his entire ministry, Christ stepped more and more towards it. His path was sure, but so were his steps. There's oftentimes we see what the path is ahead of us, but we're kind of just tiptoeing towards it. But Christ saw the path and his steps were right towards it. He didn't walk Without questions, he, he asked God for any other way this cup could be taken. But also said that he would follow God's will for his life. Having questions is a part of faith, not a sign that you've left the faith. We, we have no hope of becoming Jesus. We are far, far too sinful for that. But we do have hope that God, through his strength, through being rooted in his love and through his filling, we can be made to look more and more like his son Jesus. Jesus. And we can have a faith that is unmoved through life and its journey. Our our faith may require us to to move outwardly or change our opinions or ways or desires, but we want a faith that is unmoved in where its strength comes from, where its roots are grounded and where its filling happens. And when something is full, it's hard to move. And so give us a faith that is unmoved, God. Let us pray together. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for. For who you are, first and foremost, that, that you are a God who who we can go to for strength, who we can go to for roots, and who we can go to to be filled. So, Lord, I, I pray that in the midst of, of transitions in life and, and graduations, but, but really through where all of us are, that we already established, we can always no matter where we are in life, feel drained. We can always feel like we're not planted firmly in the ground. It can happen to any of us that we cannot be as strong as we hope to be. And as much as the enemy is trying to take those things away from us and take them into his own hands, God, you have put your stamp and put your claim over us in those areas. That you strengthen us that you root us and ground us and that you fill us, God. So I pray, Lord, that we go to you today because we know that nothing else can fill us like you can. Nothing else can strengthen us like you can. Nothing else can root us like your love, So We ask that you just be with us. and In your son's name, amen.